Thanks for listening to the Crosspoint Podcast. This is the Young Adults Ministry of the Franklin Road Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Here we desire to see this generation of young adults reached and revived with the gospel of Christ. We believe our generation has the opportunity to change the world as we know it. We'd love to have you join us on Sundays at 10 a.m. at Franklin Road Baptist Church. Our prayer is that our podcast will help you grow in your relationship with God. Enjoy the Crosspoint Podcast. This is what we do a lot. We talk about and we say, well, God wants to save your soul through Jesus Christ. And by the way, he does do that. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, your soul is saved and you can now spend eternity in heaven with Jesus Christ and with God. But after that, the soul still plays a role in how you live this life. And here's what I firmly believe. I believe that as we look at the world around us, and the problems of the world around us, I believe that as you look at Christians and the problems in Christianity and the problems in the church, that it has very little to do with maybe the culture. It has very little to do with, well, that's the trend or that, and has everything to do with us not being attentive to our soul. Because here's why. And we kind of laid out this thought at the very beginning of the series. If the soul is great enough for God to send His Son to save it, then it is important enough for us to focus on its well-being. And sometimes here's what we have the, we have, where we have a disconnect. Well, my soul is saved, so therefore I'm just going to naturally live out the way that God wants me to live out. That's not true. Your soul does not become sinless it is still a sinful soul. Even though that you have been saved by Jesus Christ, basically what you have done now is you've taken on His righteousness and His sinlessness, but you still have to battle with the soul. And the saved soul should act differently than the unsaved soul. We'll actually talk a lot about that next week and in the weeks ahead. The reason that I believe that this is the most important series we have done in Crosspoint is this. When you look at the problems of the world, when you look at the problems of Christianity, when you look at the problems in your life, I would dare say that they are most likely attached to what you believe about the soul. If you have yet to focus on it, if you have yet to change anything inside of you, then you will be an unchanged Christian. The way that that manifests itself in the life of a Christian is through sin, through disobedience, through apathy, through a lack of revival, through a lack of spiritual growth, through a lack of focus, or through focus on other things. It can manifest itself in a lot of different ways. The way that manifests itself in unsaved people is through the craziness that's going on right now. They want fulfillment in all these different things and they they have yet to deal with the soul. And so as you and I as Christians have dealt with the eternity of the soul, now let's focus on how we make sure that it is well. And so if you've got your Bibles, turn to Proverbs chapter number 3. Proverbs chapter number 3 is where we're going to be today. 
This is, I believe, possibly one of the only um, lessons in this series that we will take out expositionally. When I say expositionally, here's what I'm saying. We'll actually take a passage and break it down, and I'll explain to you why in just a second. But Proverbs chapter number 3, we're going to pull some stuff out of really the whole chapter, but we're not going to take the time to read the whole chapter because I do understand it's lengthy, and we are on a time crunch, all right? So Proverbs chapter number 3, let me encourage you that at some point this week, go back and read Proverbs 3. It is a powerful proverb. It's quick. It's easy to read. It's almost like bullet points, okay? So you could almost take the Proverbs chapter number three and turn each verse into a separate thought, a separate bullet point. And so go back at some point this week, read Proverbs chapter number three on your own, highlight, underline, circle some stuff that can be a help to you. But for sake of today, we're going to look at a couple of things at the end of the chapter. But I want you to get the context. Proverbs chapter number three, verse one says this, My son... Forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. If you want a good reason to obey God's law, he just gave you a few in verse number two. He says, length of days, long life, peace shall they add to thee. So obedience adds all of those things. We'll talk about that in just a second. He says, let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the table of thine heart. So shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. Some of the most popular verses in scripture. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And lean not into thine own understanding, and all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. I want you to skip down to verse number 21. Verse number 21. He gives a, a little bit of a lengthy list of some principles and some commands in the verses following verse number 6. But in verse number 21, he says, My son, let them not depart from thine eyes. So he's talking about the commands that he just gave. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. So shall they be life unto thy soul and grace to thy neck. Let's read verse number 22 out loud together. Ready, begin. So shall they be life unto thy soul and grace to thy neck. Verse 23, Then shalt thou walk in thy way safely, and thy foot shall not stumble. When thou liest down, thou shalt not be afraid. Yea, thou shalt lie down, and thy sleep shall be sweet. Be not afraid of sudden fear, neither of the desolation of the wicked. For when it cometh, or when it cometh for the Lord shall be thy confidence." and shall keep thy foot from being taken. Verse number 22, one more time. So shall they be life unto thy soul. What does obedience do to the soul? What does obedience do to the soul? Let's pray and ask God to help us. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for once again another opportunity to look into your word. Lord, I know that there are many in this room that they have focused maybe on their physical health to this week. They've probably eaten right. They might have even gone and done some sort of exercise. Lord, there's some in this room that they've focused on their mental health this week. They've chosen some things to think about. They've chosen some things not to think about. There's others that have probably even focused on their spirit or their will. Lord, I pray that there are those in this room that have been in your word this week. But Lord, I doubt very seriously if any of us have done the same for our souls. And while we will take everything else in this world seriously, 
Very rarely do we take seriously that which you mentioned over 850 times in Scripture as we talked about in week number one. And so God, I ask that you would help us to find this link between obedience to you and to your way and to our soul and how it can literally change us from the inside out. Pray that you would help us today to see how much our soul longs to do that which is right in your eyes. And then may we go out of this room and do it this week. In your name we pray. Amen. How many of you would admit that you have self-diagnosed yourself with FOMO? FOMO, anybody? You can raise your hand. Okay, this is an honest and safe place for you to admit that. You have FOMO. Raise your hand. There are more than two of you who have FOMO in the room, all right? Some of you are like, what's FOMO? All right, let's explain it. FOMO is the fear of missing out. It's the fear of missing out, all right? So now let's ask the question again. How many of you have self-diagnosed yourself with FOMO, all right? A few of you. FOMO, here's what FOMO kind of looks like. Let me give you a snapshot. You're checking social media. You're scrolling through, and all of a sudden you see that some of your friends have gone on a hike up to a beautiful waterfall. There's beautiful trees all around them. They've taken a picture. They've tagged each other and said, an enjoyable day with some of my best friends. And now, as someone who has diagnosed yourself with FOMO, you feel the need to text them and say, did you have fun today? <laughs> right? Why? Because that text is not really concerning their fun, right? It's a reminder to them that they did not invite you, right? You might as well just say, I hope you had fun today without me, you loser, jerk face, whatever, all right? That's how FOMO works. We have a fear of missing out. But let's just be honest. Most of the time, we don't have FOMO about negative things in life, do we? Most of you don't have FOMO about testing positive for COVID-19 or taking a COVID test at all right? Like, oh man, you got to have your brain swabbed? Ah, oh, so sorry. Hate that I missed out on that. We have a fear of missing out on positive things, don't we? Positive experiences, enjoyable things. Your soul experiences a FOMO or fear of missing out also, not on negative things, but on things that are positive and good and pleasing to God. You say, how do you know that? Here's why. Because the God who created your soul is good. Therefore, deep within the heart of every man, there is a desire to do and to be good. Let me prove it to you. There's a reason why nonprofits will spend millions of dollars putting some sad commercial on during the Super Bowl, right? It's because they know that the chances of them getting a return on their investment during a Super Bowl when most of the people watching it are drunk, probably don't even know the score to the game, but they see a sad puppy dog on, the, on a television screen like, I need to make a donation, right? There's a reason why, because they are going to play on your heartstrings to think that, well, I need to do good. And watch this. Many times in life, our desire to do good is an evidence of a God who created us who is good. One author who I read, let me summarize a statement that he said. He said it like this. Um, let me see, find it in my notes. He says, It is not enough for our souls simply not to do evil. Deep within every man is the desire to do good because the God who created us is good. 
It is for this reason that we are often bothered by our failures to do good when the opportunity arises. So here's what he's saying. Chances are when you are confronted with an opportunity to do good and you fail to do it, that will bother you throughout the day, won't it? How many times you've ever rolled up through a drive-through and you and the Lord or the Holy Spirit has said, "Hey, you should give them an invitation to church," okay? Or you should pay for the person behind you's um, meal. My wife and I, we were in a Starbucks line the other day, and we saw someone that we knew behind us, and she said, hey, you should pay for their coffee. And I, it wasn't like a negative thing. It wasn't like, a, like I was like shocked by it, but I looked at her, and I just said, are you serious? And it, and it came out worse than what it actually sounded in my mind. And she goes, yeah, like, you don't have to if you don't want to. Like, she wasn't trying to make me feel bad, but I was like, no, no, no. I mean, I, I'm happy to do that. I, I don't know why I said that. So anyways, we ended up paying for their coffee. <laughs> And, but you're confronted with that feeling of like, well, I want to do good. And chances are when you miss those opportunities, it bothers you. You recall that. You think about it. You want to go back. And if you could change it, you want to fix it. Like, oh, if I would have remembered to do that or if I would have thought about it in the moment, I wish I would have done that. And here's why. Because your soul longs to do that which is good. And the reason is because you have a God who created you who desires for you to do good, who desires for you to do right. And in our passage today, Proverbs chapter number 3, Solomon is writing to his son. And he's giving him some commands. He's giving him some principles to live his life by. But more importantly than that, for the sake of today's lesson, I want us to notice What are the consequences of obedience? We said that sin disintegrates the soul last week, or disobedience disintegrates the soul. Obedience builds and binds the soul. Which means this, that you can actually develop yourself from the inside out as you choose to do things God's way. Now all of a sudden, doing right becomes easier. The same way that when you sin and it disintegrates and it makes doing wrong become easier, now as you make consistent choices to do things God's way, to trust in the Lord with all your heart, to trust and obey as we sung about today, which was very appropriate for our lesson. But as you do that, now all of a sudden you are retraining who you are to say, I'm going to do things God's way. I'm going to do this the right way. And that builds and that binds in your soul to create something that is glorifying to God. And we often think about consequences in light of our disobedience. But when was the last time you thought about consequences in light of your obedience? The same way that disobedience brings consequences, you can say it like this, that obedience brings consequences a lot of rewards. It brings opportunity. It brings chances to do more for God. It brings some things in life that we are searching for. And sometimes it's not enough just not to do evil. At some point, your soul also desires to do that which is good. So I want us to pull three thoughts out of this passage, and then we'll close with a little bit of a uh, lengthy conclusion. But the first thing is this. Obedience brings life to the soul. Obedience brings life to the soul. Verse number 22, he's referring to the list of commands that he's just giving. He says, so shall they be life unto thy soul. How many of you have ever just felt completely drained at the end of like a day or a week? You've ever felt just completely drained, right? 
Sometimes we even say, I just feel weary, right? I'm weary. I'm and it's not that you did anything bad. It's not that you maybe, sometimes you just get tired. Life just wears you down. Some of you, you're like, that is literally the state of my life. Like that is the, my, my eternal is, existence is weariness, all right? And you get tired and you get burdensome. But let me ask you a question. There's times in life to where, yes, you become physically weary and physically tired, but aren't there some times that just seem a little bit deeper than that in your weariness? To where you're just tired from maybe not seeing positive something positive happen. Maybe you're just tired because you've been in the rat race of life and it just seems empty. It just seems fleeting. Maybe you've not seen God stir you up in a long time. And so guess what? Church just kind of becomes, eh, I'm here doing what I'm supposed to do. And if you're not careful, you can grow weary with good things. Why? Because it could very well be that there is a disobedient issue there. There is a soul issue there that has not been dealt with. Let me prove it to you, okay? We refer a lot to our relationship with God as a father and child, okay? I want you to, and I know not everyone in the room had a perfect home life, but I want you to recall for just a moment, when were the happiest moments of your household? Was it typically when you were in disobedience or when you were in obedience, okay? Right or wrong? Someone talk to me, all right? What was it? When you were disobedient or when you were obedient? When were happy moments in your home? Obedience. Obedience, all right? Why? Because there was fellowship there. And watch this. I want you to listen to this. Because this is how we act with God sometimes. Even when there was something between you and mom and dad that mom and dad had not figured out yet, there was still a strain on that relationship, wasn't there? If you broke something and you were trying to hide it from mom and dad, who was the one that acted awkward? You did, right? Mom and dad didn't even know about the wrong yet. But you were unhappy because it was like, well, and sometimes here's what tends to happen in the Christian life. Well, because I'm not getting caught in my sin, it's okay. Wrong. Sin is sin no matter what. Disobedience is disobedience no matter what. And you will place a strain on your relationship or your Christian life when you live in disobedience. When you are willingly breaking commandments and principles and, and lifestyles and habits that come from God, then it will put a strain on that relationship. It will not be life-giving. Oh yeah, you can read your Bible, you can pray, you can come to church, but it's the same way as showing up to sit down at the dinner table with a parent knowing that you're hiding something from them. Probably not wanting to talk too much, are you? When they ask how your day was, all of a sudden it's like, it was great, it was great, it was fine, everything was great, everything was perfect, right? You get awkward, and that's the exact same thing that we carry into our Christian relationship. I've got sin, I've got disobedience in my life, so now my relationship with God is awkward. My relationship with God is strained. So obedience brings life to the soul, but then notice secondly, is that obedience brings safety to the soul. Obedience brings safety to the soul. Look at verse number 23. He says, Then shalt thou walk in thy way safely, 
and thy foot shall not stumble. When thou liest down, thou shalt not be afraid. Yea, thou shalt lie down, and thy sleep shall be sweet. How many of you ever heard two people talking and one person can just fall asleep like a rock and the other person struggles sleeping and you've heard them make the joke like pays to have a clear conscience, right? Okay. Anybody ever heard that? Or am I the only one who makes that joke? Because when my wife and I talk, I'm the one who's like, I mean, it's like my head hits the pillow and I'm out. All right. And so anytime that we're talking about it with other old people that talk about their sleep habits, okay, I always say pays to have a clear conscience. And it's like, okay, we've all heard that joke. Let's move on. All right. But here's what God is saying, or here's what Solomon is saying through divine authority with God. He says that when you are obedient to the commands of God, it gives you safety so much so that when your head hits that pillow, there is nothing between you and God. There is nothing for you to lie awake and say, well, I wonder if so-and-so found out about this. I wonder if so-and-so is going to say something about this. I wonder if I got caught in this. I wonder if, oh man. And when the soul or when the body and the mind and the spirit is living in obedience with God, it brings life, but it also brings a safety that cannot be matched with an alarm system or with a gun under your pillow. There is a safety knowing that I am right with God. And so therefore, I know that God will lead me. I know that God will guide me, which leads us to this last thought. And that is this, that obedience not only brings life, and not only brings safety, but obedience brings confidence to the soul. Look at verse number 26. He says this, For the Lord shall be thy confidence, and shall keep thy foot from being taken. I want you to listen to my heart for just a couple minutes and then we'll be done, okay? We're actually looking like we're on track to be done early. I know everyone is shocked and some of you are like, you keep talking, you're going to run the risk of not that not happening, okay? So I'm going to hurry, all right? But I want you to listen. When I say that I speak from my heart, it means that it's most of the time you're not going to have a lot of bullet points. There's not going to be some pithy little saying for you to post on Instagram, but I want you to catch this, okay? When you choose God's way, sometimes we like to make obedience about the 613 commands of Scripture, okay? Chances are you don't have all of them memorized, okay? Probably going to miss a few every now and then. But it's interesting to me that at the very beginning of this passage, we have some of the most popular verses in Scripture. Draw trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. Can I boil obedience down just real simple for you? It's that God's way is better than your way. And sometimes we like to complicate it and we like to say, well, should I watch a PG-13 show or should I only watch PG or should I only watch G? And what if it comes from this movie maker? And what if it's got... God's way is better than your way. And sometimes here's what that means. That means trusting God enough that when that little voice inside of you says, ah, to say, if I miss out on something that could hurt me, I'll be all right. Why? Because your soul has a fear of missing out on that which is good. 
And yes, sometimes we get in these moral conundrums, okay? To where we want to say, well, but it's not bad if I turn this part off or if I fast forward this. But in that moment, do you know what you just did to your soul? You just made the next sin a little bit easier. And here's where I think we're at as Christians, is we have lived too long saying, well, how close can I get to the edge? Rather than saying, I'm just going to trust that God's way is better than mine. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Deuteronomy chapter number 6. Deuteronomy chapter number 6. I'll close with this verse and one illustration, then we'll be done, okay? Deuteronomy chapter number 6. Last week we taught on what obedience or sin, disobedience or sin does to the soul from the books of the law, okay? Deuteronomy chapter number 6 is obviously a portion of the book of the law. It's giving different commands, different, giving different laws from God for His people to live by. But I want you to look at verse number 18. He says something very powerful here. He says, And thou shalt do that which is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with thee. Sometimes we get this warped view of obedience to where, well, obedience is what I do for God. Can I change your paradigm a little bit on that? That obedience to God is what you do for yourself. Obedience to God is what protects you. Obedience to God is what gives you life and safety and confidence in the Lord. And when you're choosing to live a disobedient life, especially as a Christian, when you're choosing to live outside of God's way, when you're choosing to trust and lean on your own understanding more than on the way of God, here's what you're doing. You are making it to where it is not well with thee. You'll have struggles. You'll struggle mentally and physically and emotionally and spiritually. Why? Because you have placed yourself in a position to where you are now disobedient with the good God of the universe who created your soul to desire good and to desire to do what was right and as a Christian to desire to glorify Him. So when you put yourself in a dating relationship that is immoral, when you put yourself in maybe in front of a plop down in front of a TV to watch something that is immoral, when you listen to music that is immoral, then you wonder why, well, I just don't know why I'm struggling with this weariness. I don't know why there's no life. I don't, I don't know why I don't feel safe. I don't know why there's no confidence in God. It's because you have placed yourself in a position to where you are disobedient from God and you cannot experience the consequences or rewards of obedience. There was an illustration that I read this past week, and I'll close with this and we'll be done. An illustration that I read this past week. 450 students at the University of California, Los Angeles, UCLA, were divided into two groups, and they were giving a very menial memory recall task. So they were divided into two groups, and one group was asked to recall 10 books that were assigned to them to read in elementary school, and the other group was assigned to recall the Ten Commandments. 
when the projects were turned back in or in the test or the recall was turned back in, it was very obvious that the group who had recalled the 10 books that they were assigned in elementary school had cheated. Because now all of a sudden the kid who lived in Midwest Kansas was assigned the exact same elementary reading as the kid who lived in Southern Los Angeles, Southern California. 10 books and they cheated. But every single one of them gave 10 answers. The group who was given the task of recalling the Ten Commandments, very few of them had similar answers, and not one of them were able to fulfill the assignment of giving all ten. In fact, the study says that a large majority of them did not even turn in ten answers. And here was the conclusion. That the simple knowledge of knowing that there is right and wrong causes us to think that it's probably a good choice to do that which is right. Causes us to think maybe the Ten Commandments is not the thing to cheat on. And sadly, what, is, what works in a psychological study of writing down the Ten Commandments sometimes does not always play out in our day-to-day -day life as Christians. So what do we do? We wake up, we live our life how we want to, and then we wonder why there is distance between us and God. And as we get ready to go into revival, let me just tell you that revival for our church means a lot of different things for a lot of different people. And hopefully last week, the Holy Spirit did a little bit of stirring in your heart and you said, I'm going to stop doing some things that I know displease God. I'm going to become obedient. I'm going to let some sin out of my life. But for some of you, there's not any deep, dark, habitual sin and praise the Lord for it. But let me ask you this. What do you need to become obedient to? You see, my children can live a life of obedience by just not doing the things which I ask them to do. Don't ask them not to do. But at some point, they have to start doing the things which I ask them to do. My child would be in just as much trouble if they ran away from home because I didn't want them to and said, please, please stay at home. Please don't run in the street. Okay, great, you stayed in the yard. But now when I call for them to come inside, if they refuse not to, that is still disobedience. And revival for some is a putting away of sin, but for others it is a bringing on of obedience. It is a bringing on of goodness. It is an action of, Lord, I am choosing your way rather than mine. With Thanks for listening. If this lesson is helpful to you, feel free to share it with someone else or let us know by emailing us at crosspoint at franklinroad.org. You can also check us out at frbc underscore crosspoint on Instagram and Twitter. We look forward to connecting with you again soon.